gentlemen welcome to the bitkashi cam podcast today we have pratham mittal the founder of masters union with us on the podcast and first of all thank you pratham for having us uh, at the masters union before i start you're our first male guest oh, wow. on the bitkashi cam podcast <laughs> following some stupendous women i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> no pressure big shoes to fill Let's start at the start. Tell us about your childhood. I know you went to Doon. So looking back, how do you feel that shaped you? In in Doon school, it's it's sort of like the survival of the fittest. I'm, Why do you say that? I, I'm joking a little bit, but <laughs> but it's, there's a little bit of truth in that. Okay. Um, because it is cutthroat, right? There's sixty of you uh, in in a batch, and there are hundred of you in a house. Yeah. And, and the best of the best from the country. Uh, yeah, I mean, people would say so. Uh, and so you're always in competition for grades, uh, you know, for cricket cup and soccer cup and swimming cup and athletics cup. Uh, so that competitive spirit, I think, gets built in you. You know, we are there from class seven till class twelve. Those are our formative years. Yeah. And I think for absolutely. me also, a lot of the competitiveness comes from Doon School. I think. Okay. Yeah. Great. I can see that. <laughs> you had both your mother and your father, who hmm. were also educators. They co-founded. Lovely professional university. I'm sure you are asked all the time that how did your father inspire you? Yeah. But today I want to highlight your mum. Sure. So I want to ask you what is uh, the role she has played, mm-hmm. um, and what was it like growing up with her as your mother? Yeah. Uh, no, I think she herself is super entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, she's always supported my dad and worked with him shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. She was never. Sort of behind him in in any form, right? He was always, in fact, one step ahead, and so they built the business together. And um, today, she leads everything other than you know finances and you know all of the the boring stuff. I think she's taking care of all of the more exciting and more challenging yeah. stuff, which is you know working with students, working with faculty, working with all the the various teams, the uh, admin, the admin, the yeah. uh, placements, which is. Perhaps the most important. Yeah, for a university. For a university. So, uh, and and she's inspired me because of two very specific things that she does. I think one is that she truly, truly cares for her students. Right? And if you would meet her mm. or you'd see any of her videos, her passion for her students is extremely apparent on her face. Right. Okay. And uh, I've seen when we've gone on holidays. Let's say we've gone to Guwahati or somewhere. We've been in a hotel. And a student would, you know, suddenly like spot her, would come to her, just literally like fall to his knees and like touch her yeah. feet, you know. Ki ma'am, you've changed my life in so many ways. Like how all of us have that spot, soft spot for one, one teacher. teacher. My, I think yeah, my mom's she... been that for many students. Yeah. Um, there was this time when we were in the U.S. somewhere, and we were literally walking on the sidewalk, mm. and uh, we were looking for a cab, right? And we were trying to hail the cab. Was this in the U.S.? In the, in New York. Okay. And and literally like. Uh, we had a car stop right in front of us, right? Almost like in a very mafiaesque kind of a way. A guy got out and he's like, "No, you have to come with me because I was actually one of your students. I can't have you be in a cab. So I'll, I'm going to ferry you around the entire day." So he called, uh, called his work, said, "I won't be, uh, you know, in today." Hmm. And the entire day he ferried us around New York, wherever we wanted to go. He took us. Oh wow! We said, "You know, you don't have to do this." He's like, "No, no, no. I'm getting a chance to." Uh, pay you back, so I'm going to do that. Right? For anyone who's ever lived in New York for even a short time, New Yorkers, one thing they're not known for is generosity, lack of, of kindness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that is commendable. commendable. So, 
I think her care and her passion towards the students is something that has really inspired me. But apart from your parents, who do you feel maybe people who you've actually met or they could be famous influencers you look up to, some of your mentors yeah. and some of the life lessons that you live by? Yeah, one of my professors of organizational behavior at college. This guy called Adam Grant. Of course. Right? And I'm sure you follow him as well. Yeah. He's very popular on Instagram now. Yeah. Um, he's become an influencer. He was a professor. <laughs> uh, but he still teaches. Yeah. And he had a huge impact on me because he changed the way I used to think about teaching mm -hmm. uh, or learning. Okay. Right? Um, he never used any exams, uh, lectures, slides, grades, attendance. None of these, you know, usual tools that teachers use in their classes. The way he would teach is that he would give us a task to do in the real world. And, and we would go around uh, Philadelphia, which is where the campus was doing those tasks in groups. Um, and, and one of those tasks actually led me to build my first company yeah. called Outgrow. Yeah. So, you know, he, the way he sort of taught, the way he thought about learning, um, really changed the way I thought about learning and teaching. And it really inspired me to build Master's Union. Yeah. Uh, where each class is taught in a way that Adam Grant taught us that one class. Which each class is hands-on and Correct. practical. Yeah. So after Dune, you went to UPenn to study. For all the teenagers tuning in and more importantly, all their moms. Yeah. What was your SAT score? On record. <laughs> so at that time, SAT used to be uh, uh, 2400. That was a max yeah. score, right? Yes. And uh, I took SATs four times. Yeah. Because my first time I got a really bad score. Uh, I think I got a 1900 or something and I was mm. really, really sad about it. And then I worked hard. Then I got maybe like a 2070. I still wasn't happy because I wanted a 2200 minimum. Because to get I knew, an IV. To get an IV. Yeah. Uh, I tried a third time and I got a lesser score than my second try. I yeah. got again, I think a 2020, 2020. And then finally in my fourth try, which was one month after I had already sent in the application. Right? Yeah. And that score was 2320. Kudos. Yeah, yeah, so I, I really <laughs> tried very hard. That's a story in resilience. Never give up. Yeah, just fourth, keep trying. He was fourth time lucky. Fourth time, yeah. <laughs> keep trying. You founded your company Outgrow with your project partner. Yes. If I'm correct. Yeah, Randy. Most kids are out there just finding, chasing the highest pay package. Yes. So what, what motivated you to go against that tide and take this risky entrepreneurially at sure. such a young age? Uh, I'll answer this in two ways. I don't think it was risky at all. Right. We started okay. in our third year and we had the entire fourth year to de-risk ourselves. So we were running the business for a year and mm -hmm. Randy and I had told each other that, listen, if our revenue reaches a point where we can give ourselves a simple basic life, then we should rather do this business hmm. than go for a job. We have around 4,400 customers across okay. all of the world. Oh, amazing. Um, and um, yeah, we build this customer by customer, uh, one by one. And it took us a long time to build it. Another very interesting thing I found was that you lived in New York City for eight years yeah. and then chose to come back. It's very rare. I think two, three things. One is that India was growing much faster than the US. Mm. And we thought that with all the experience that you've had in the US, we can do much more in India than in the US. Right? In, in, in the US, we would be maybe top 5% in terms of people who know shit. <laughs> In India, we'd be top 0.05%. Yeah. Right. So our competitive advantage in India would take us much further along uh, than in the US. Yeah. Uh, that was number one. Number two was that it had been almost eight, nine years that we had been running the company. Hmm. And we thought we had given the company everything that we possibly could. 
and now it was time for us to move on to the next chapter in our book and both of us thought that you know is us the right place to build that next chapter or is lebanon or india the right place mm. to build that chapter um and and just by virtue of the fact that india is growing much faster than the us we thought let's do it in india the third thing was i was missing my parents right and i didn't want to stay away from them for for any longer okay um i knew that my sister was Sweet. graduating soon yeah uh, she would move back to india as well yeah. and i wanted to spend some time with her as well before she you know gets married and so for all those reasons we decided to move back to india however i think we live in a world where easily our feet can be in two different countries yeah absolutely right? uh, you have what 18 flights a day to the us yeah. from delhi or yeah. bombay and um i mean it's very easy to to be in two places at one time um so you have a thriving business headquartered in new york and of course masters union right here in gurgaon so i wanted to ask you if you were to do a comparative analysis yeah. of running a business in the us mm. or let's say in more generic terms in the west was we running a business here in india what would what would your thoughts be on that yeah so i think like building a business in the us is much harder than building a business in india okay in the us hiring is a huge huge problem yeah. you're not able to find people as easily you find them in india true uh, number one number two when you do find them they're incredibly expensive yeah so in india if you were to raise a million dollars it can get you like 30 40 people easily right for at least one two years in the us if you raise a million dollars that will finish in like less than six months if you have a 10 person team So you have to raise a lot more money in the US. Uh, there's a lot more competition. Google, Facebook ads are that much more expensive. Uh, your CACs go through the roof in the US much sooner than they do in India. So you know, for me to build a business in India as Masters yeah. Union was a lot simpler, a lot yeah. more straightforward than it was in the US. Now India also has its own challenges. So for example, like getting a physical space in India, you have to jump through like a hundred hoops. with the government all the with licenses, all licenses the permits the permits so once you yeah. get that right which is the headache part but once you get through that i think running a business is, is way more smoother in india yeah um the other thing is just people right in india a lot of people work who who work with you work very emotionally with you hmm right my team here i can trust them with a lot more than than just the work right the um, affection yeah. and that that's there it's not We're transactional inherently affectionate it's people. yeah exactly yeah yeah um i don't have to ask people to stay beyond 7 8 9 pm i don't have to ask people to come on sundays when they have to mm. come on sundays nobody asks for like compensatory leave or you know all of that stuff but in the us it's very transactional like yeah. from monday till friday i'm mm. your yours saturday sunday i'll forget that i even like like i even know True. you as as a yeah. boss right so yeah. i remember we had a client New York Times, and they had a big issue on a Saturday night where their servers got crippled completely. Mm -hmm. And I asked my engineering head, who was at the time in New York, um, American, can you please come in on a Saturday evening and just fix it? Right, like it'll take you five minutes, or maybe you can just fix it from home. Open your laptop. He said, No, I'm on a date. Don't bother. I'll see you Monday morning. Oh my god! And I was like, Dude, that's like my biggest client. Like New York Times is crashing on you. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a yeah. big client, and and I mean, yeah. what are you saying? Uh, I was like, no, no. So then I had to call one of our engineers in India, and it was midnight or like past midnight, whatever, four a.m., five a.m. for him. I don't remember. And he got up, and 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 got everything sort of fixed from here. From here, from India, yeah. when it wasn't his job at all to do. Yeah. 
So I think like you can depend on people a lot more uh, in India. However, work ethic wise speaking. Correct. So in the US, like if you tell someone this needs to be done and if it's Monday to Friday, it will be done. Right. But in India, you might have to follow up, push, give a carrot or give a stick, you know. Yeah. I think I think that's the the challenge. But also, by the way, in India, taxes are lower. US taxes are crazy. So you earn just like a lot more in India than you would in the US. There's lots of things. Um, But I think both places are a lot of fun. At the end of the day, what matters is like the people that you work with. And if you surround yourself with interesting people, I think it makes sense either way. Interesting. Mm. Thank you uh, for that answer. I wanted to ask Mm. you, touch upon something a little personal. You have undoubtedly achieved phenomenal success at a very young age. What were some of the challenges you have faced and what did they teach you yeah. in retrospect? Lots of failures, lots, many more than, than successes for sure. The initial team that I had built for Masters mm. Union, today none of them exist. And yeah. that can be attributed to my temper sometimes, which I it's tend to lose. honest of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that could be attributed to lack of systems where mm-hmm. people felt disempowered at some times. Okay. Today we are making a more concerted effort to make sure that, you know, there is less attrition, that people are happy uh, while they are here. But still, I think we are yet to cover some distance. And I think many organizations um, face this problem. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that we've done well is to recognize that this is a problem, right? And do something to fix it. Yeah. Um, the second failure would definitely be like some wrong decisions. Um, so for example, we started a couple of courses. We started them before we were ready. Okay. And that led in our students having not a very good experience. And when we start a course, it's not just a business. It's those 60 students' lives that we are impacting. So yeah. we should, and I think I've learned that lesson the hard way. So, so I think you learn uh, from these on the, job. on the job. But I commend you for your candor. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot to admit one's uh, failures. So you move back and you opened Master's Union. Why an educational institute? I have to ask you, was it just an altruistic decision? Was it purely business? Was it a mix of both? Like, what was going on yeah. in your mind before starting this? Now, I think uh, education is a great field to do something in for two reasons. One is that the demand is unlimited. Mm-hmm. Right? When you're selling these cups, there's like a finite demand, right? And you have a lot of competition. Uh, and if that one competitor is yeah. like a huge company, they can price you out of the market. They can do lots of things to, to hurt you essentially. But in education, no matter how much competition you have, it's not enough. So many kids can't get into uh, DU or the IITs Correct. and the IIMs. Correct. So you know, when you have such high demand for education, um, then you always feel that, hey, listen, like there is high demand for good quality education. There's very low supply for good quality education. Mm. So the business just makes sense. From yeah. that. I mean, I think that was the main motivation that why are people not building more schools? I mean, you just need that. That's number one. Number two, I think it makes for a sustainable business. You know, you don't have to spend a lot of money acquiring students because there is high demand. And finally, I think it's very fulfilling to be in education because in the beginning I spoke about my mother. Yeah. Uh, feeling very, very fulfilled when her students would graduate and go on to do great things in life. Yeah. Uh, already three of our cohorts have graduated and I see on LinkedIn them doing some crazy stuff yeah. in life. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like I have, uh, you know, contribution to that. Yeah. And, and that feeling itself is a dopamine hit like nothing else. Absolutely. You're working for the betterment of students. And, yeah. uh, and you know, we are an expensive school. 
Yeah. We are perhaps the second most expensive school in the country. Which is the first? I think for MBA it would be ISB and for undergrad it would be Ashoka. Okay. Right. Uh, but I think we are number two uh, yeah. to them in, in both. Let's say when you buy an expensive office and you rent it out to somebody, you get a higher rent. Right. Yeah. You get a better ROI. So similarly with, with education, one should think about their investment in education, not in terms of how much I'm paying, but what am I getting in return? Mm -hmm. And so then it makes okay. Then it becomes a little bit more altruistic. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, a lot of people in YouTube comments end up saying that hey, you can't be altruistic when you're charging a 40 lakh fees. Yeah. Which is kind of true. Uh, before we go further, I just have to let our audience know that the Masters Union campus is absolutely phenomenal. It's stunning. It has these inspiring quotes everywhere. You definitely don't feel like you're entering an Indian college. And it's on par. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And everyone's more than welcome to come and uh, attend classes here. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to circle back a little bit that you actually launched a business school literally when uh, COVID-19 hit right. uh, the world. And first of all, all institutes globally were going online. And what is more, students were literally dropping out of Ivy Leagues. Like yeah. my own younger sister, yeah. she was going for her master's to Columbia yeah. in 2020. She deferred a year. Yes. How did you shun the negative voice? What motivated you to be like, to Sure. We started thinking that, you know, COVID will pass now, this week, the next yeah. week, the next week. But you know exactly what happened with your sister happened with many other students. Yeah. which is that they wanted to defer because they didn't want to study online. So lots of students were in that bucket. And we reached out to those students and said, hey, listen, you have a great GMAT score. Yeah. Right. Um, you have an admit at Columbia, but you, you should probably defer it. Right. But you've already left your job. You've already given notice because you had to join in a couple of months. Yeah. So I have a recommendation for you or I have a suggestion for you. Why don't you join Master's Union for one year? Hmm. Right. And if you feel good at Master's Union, then that's great. And if you get a job, you know, in McKinsey, BCG, Bain, whatever you want from Master's Union, then you don't even have to go to Columbia, right? Yeah. And if you don't like the Master's Union experience, don't pay us anything. Go to Columbia next okay. year. You give them that guarantee. Yeah. Go to Columbia next year. Right? We just take a, like a nominal fee from you to book your seat. Hmm. Right? So at that time, our program costed around 20, 25 lakhs. Okay. Our average realization from students was like 4 lakhs, 5 lakhs, hmm. not even. Yeah. So basically people had a zero risk to join Master's Union. And that's how our first 60 students ended up joining Master's Union. Had COVID not been there, we would not have gotten the kind of A plus or A students that we yeah. got. We would have lost them to Columbia, to Northwestern, to HEC Paris, to Imperial College London, yeah. to all of them. So we got very lucky and because the first batch was so good, uh, you know, they did really well in placements and some of them started companies, ended up fundraising, okay. that the college's reputation got built. And in By the following year, those first 62. The first 60 students. Yeah. And then the next cohort became very easy for us to attract. Yeah, because word of mouth. Word of mouth was strong. Yeah. Uh, today we have almost 2400 applications for 200 spots. Okay, wow. <laughs> I'm seeing this like great appetite for risk in all the choices you've made thus far. And uh, I think it's commendable. And also I feel that's a ref reflection of your self-belief. Mm -hmm. And I think these are two characteristics very important. 
uh, in an entrepreneur. So just wanted to spotlight that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I think I think like to be very honest, I come from a family business background. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't think I've ever taken any financial risk. To be very honest. Okay. Because I always had a very strong backing. Okay. Right. I think there are entrepreneurs who actually put everything at stake to mm. build their businesses. Mm. I didn't have to do that. Yeah. I had it very, very easy, right? I had a safety net for me all along, right? So I have a lot of respect for real entrepreneurs uh, who actually risk everything for their businesses. Yeah. In my case, I don't think like I had to face those many challenges that some entrepreneurs mm. have to face. So I had mm. it easy. Um, so I wouldn't give myself the credit of being some crazy risk taker at all. Okay. Right. I think. Are you honest? The number of yeah. you. There are a lot of people who do have the privilege, but mm. don't end up actualizing or living up to their full potential. Fair. Fair. Yeah. yeah I, I have friends who would fall in that category. Yeah. Um, who wants to take the risk, but for whatever reasons, uh, external chatter, circumstances, probably their own internal self doubt. I sort of not able to. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone like that? Uh, I think like uh, you have to just give it a shot, right? Mm. Um, you know, you have to open the box to see whether the cat is alive or dead, right? So I think unless you actually start a business, you'll not know if you're good at it or bad at it. And yeah. more often than not, you learn something from it. So you'll get better at it, right? So I think there is no downside absolutely no downside in starting a business as early as possible. Even if you're a high school student, mm. I think you can still start something. Um, and, and that would be the most rewarding experience of your life. Don't take too many risks. Like don't make a huge investment that you're not yeah. sure of. Sure. Yeah. But today you can start a bunch of businesses with zero investment. Yeah. The internet makes that possible. Yeah. You can start Very today true. a dropshipping business yeah. with absolutely zero investment. You can start a YouTube business with zero investment. I mean, just your phone. Yeah. You can start. So many content creators have just emerged during nowhere, yeah. the last two years during, during COVID. Absolutely. You can start a Kickstarter campaign with absolutely zero investment, a cloud kitchen with zero investment, blockchain. You can build a product on blockchain yeah. for zero investment. So, I mean, there's so many businesses you can start with zero investment that you really have no risk as such. Master's Union is a practitioner's-led school. So can you tell us a little bit about that, your model, and how that distinguishes you from the other B schools out there? Three teaching philosophies that we have. Mm -hmm. The first is that we try that each course is co-taught by a practitioner who's from the industry, a CEO, CMO, CHRO, CFO, CTO. Yeah. So basically in a classroom like this, you'll have a full-time faculty okay. who's enrolled with us. Yes. And a visiting faculty who is a practitioner yeah. co-teaching a course. Okay. Right. So the way they teach becomes very interesting, right? That the faculty from outside would yeah. bring in the data, the stories, what's happening in the world, the realities uh, of the business. And the full-time faculty, the masters in residence, as we call them, mm -hmm. they would bring in the rigor, the assessment, making sure that each student yeah. is learning, making yeah. sure that uh, uh, you know all of the concepts are being delivered properly. So this sort of melange of this rigor mm. plus real world learning makes for a very beautiful classroom. Perfect synergy. Yeah, perfect synergy, right? Yeah. So that's our first philosophy, co-teaching. Co Second is hands-on learning, right? So we try that classes are not doing too much of lecturing, looking at slides, 
you know, quizzes and exams in the traditional sense. We try that all of the programs are run in a completely hands-on way. I'll give you an example. So if you are trying to learn, um, let's say, finance, then instead of, you know, you going through credit, debit, ledger, which I'm sure you would have done. <laughs> We've all done We've all it. done. Yeah. Uh, that becomes very boring. And, you know, sure. that essentially doesn't lead to any dopamine in your mind. And that doesn't lead to any long-time learning. You don't yeah. feel inspired. Yeah. Like you would never have met any student who would say, yeah, I'm inspired by accounts. Right. People be like, no, accounts was very boring, right? Karnavara. It was an easy scoring subject. That's, what, that's how I looked at it, Correct. to be honest, Correct. in school. The way yeah. we try to teach accounts, you know, in, 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 in sort of uh, more advanced terms, is that students are actually given um, this assignment where they have to go to a dhaba. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They have to basically adopt a dhaba or a coffee shop or something. And they have to audit their books of accounts. Oh, wow. And how long is this? It's like a six-week project. Okay. Right? As they're auditing their books of accounts, yeah. they are now forced to learn about income expenditure statement, profit and loss statement, balance sheets, all of that. Yeah. Right? So because there is a project, there's a real-world learning at the end of it, then you go back yourself and learn those concepts. The concepts. You're motivated to. Now I have to learn yeah. income and expenditure statement because I have to make one for this, you know, guy. shop. This guy. Yeah. Uh, and he's dependent on me now. Yeah. Right. So now suddenly your motivation was zero earlier to learn income and expenditure, but now there's a motivation. Yeah. Now your dopamine will start hitting. Very interesting. So this. <laughs> I is, wish we were taught like this in exactly. school. <laughs> so so I think that's the second philosophy, which is yeah. uh, completely hands-on learning in real-world learning, and finally it's, it's you know which is we call it learn business by building a business. Where in each term, students are tasked to build a small business. Okay. In term one, you build a dropshipping business. In term two, you build a YouTube business. Okay. All that yeah. do not require any investment. Yeah. In term three, you build uh, a Kickstarter campaign. In term four, oh, you nice. build a cloud kitchen. In term yeah. five, you build a blockchain. So on and so forth. So you're like actually like, uh, you know, feeding them with that risk appetite exactly. and the entrepreneurial spirit. And, and you know, when in the first term, students are building these dropshipping businesses and they see real revenue hit their bank accounts. Yeah. They become entrepreneurial inherently. It's the biggest high. It's the biggest high when you yeah. see like you just made a profit, right? And once you've experienced that entrepreneurial high, very hard to go back from mm. it. So, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about some of your most memorable anecdotes with some of the masters yeah. who have come here. Yeah, yeah, I have so many. Uh, so, I think... I'll tell you about a few. Hmm. Um, one of the early courses in economics, um, which is how banks work. The course is called How Banks Work. Okay. Um, it's, taught by, it's taught by a current member of parliament, okay. Narendra Jadav, who was the chief economist of the RBI yeah. before. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And he's written a bunch of books on, yeah. on how the, the country actually works, economically speaking. Right? Yeah. And when he comes to class, he doesn't teach, like, like he doesn't use a board, he doesn't use anything. He just tells stories in the form of his conversations with Manmohan Singh because he was his economic advisor, right? And so each class, he'll just talk about one story about how he and Manmohan Singh reached a conclusion together. I'm guessing about like the privatization and yeah, all of that. Time. Thank God. Exactly. So he's like, you know, That's he had this lessons, argument. That's uh, exactly. uh, in real time. In real time. Now, think from the student's perspective. Yeah. Now the student wants to hear those stories. It's almost like, again, watching a Netflix documentary like come alive in front of you. I would want to. I honestly studied, I'm saying this on camera, I did economics honors in Delhi University. Mm. 
which is very hard to get into. But I, I, looking back, I don't think I learned much. <laughs> yeah. i give another example. So, Manoj Kohli ji, who is the yeah. CEO of Airtel, or was the CEO of Airtel for almost 17 years. Mm-hmm. And then most recently was leading SoftBank in India. Okay. He is also the chairman of our board. Yeah. And he teaches a course on marketing. And the way he teaches is again very interesting. In each class, he would talk about one campaign that Airtel ran back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that campaign. There was this... Uh, some Harik friend zaruri hota hai Yeah, campaign. of course. It was, and it ran for a couple of years. Yes, and then there was this the was Hutch campaign. There was a Hutch campaign. With the with dog. The dog. <laughs> uh, then there were, That's why the everybody got pugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They made pugs popular. Yeah. And there were a bunch of other like very yeah. successful Airtel. The Airtel girl campaign mm. that's running. Yeah. So yeah. we'll actually talk about those campaigns. Which of those campaigns were successful? Which of those were not successful? What he learned from each of those campaigns? So it's again like watching a documentary on Airtel. Right, and from the CEO's mouth. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then the the co-teacher, the master in residence, who's our faculty, he or she would make sure that all of the conceptual learnings are being delivered as well. Yeah. Right. So there's a nice balance there. Yeah. Um, another very interesting course that comes to my mind is uh, one taught by Captain Raghu Raman, who was a captain in the Indian Army, who fought in the Kargil. Uh, and the way he teaches design thinking is by getting students Fantastic. to assemble an AK-47 in class. He actually brings an AK-47 to the class. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's allowed? That's, yeah, it's, we have to take some permissions. Because he but yeah. has a license, that's his license. Yeah, but like, it, it's, it's, it's like a decommissioned old one, right? So it doesn't wow. actually work, but students actually have to, um, uh, you know, and it, it's incredibly interesting. Students are super excited yeah. when he brings that to class. There's a full video of this online if anyone wants to watch it. I need to watch yeah. this. Um, <laughs> It's a super interesting course. Amazing. But the education space as we speak today is at a very interesting juncture. Um, you know, with, especially with the advent of AI plus what we just saw during the pandemic. There's this intersection of online and offline teaching models. A, what's your take on that? And more importantly, what I wanted to ask you is, if by chance we're in a scenario where there's over-dependence on AI, will that dilute the actual classroom teaching experience? Yeah. No, not at all, actually. So, you know, when when books came, hmm. when the printing press was invented and books started circulating, we all thought we wouldn't need universities anymore. We because, did? Yeah, back in the day, <laughs> okay. like this is 1800s, right? Yeah. We thought now that we have books, why do you have to go to a classroom? You can just study from books. Hmm. That did not happen, right? <laughs> yeah. When the TV came in the 50s or 40s, I don't know when. 50s. Uh, 50s, I'm guessing. Yeah. Everyone thought that now we have TVs and books. Why will anyone have to go to a university to learn? So human learning happens always in teams, in collaboration, while you're solving a problem. As a collective. As a collective. And, and that's why I have a very strong conviction that we'll always have universities. And no matter how strong the AI gets, while the AI might be able to replace a classroom, hmm. but it will not be able to replace the university setting. A university is a lot more than just a classroom. Like, this is the Because She Can podcast. So I wanted to touch upon a little bit about female representation. So unfortunately in India still, hmm. uh, for, a way, for whatever various societal reasons, There are a lot of barriers even today uh, in varied parts of the country when it comes to girls pursuing 
higher education and more so MBA. It is, let's be honest, it is a little uh, stigmatized for women um, in a lot of parts of the country still. I wanted to ask you, so how do you ensure inclusion, A, when it comes to your student body, and B, when it also comes to your managerial leadership sure. teams? Sure. That's a very good question. So I think uh, if we talk about the teams, uh, you know, across the last 10, 12 years that I've been working, I have found that uh, women leaders are outperforming male leaders. Like, I'm not saying this because I'm on this podcast. I have data to back this up. Yeah. Currently, out of the nine team leads that we have, uh, I think one, two, three, four, five, six are women. Oh, really? Yes. Six are women. Wow. And if you were to look at the longevity of mm -hmm. their um, of, of, of their career within the company, it's a lot more certain and longer than their male counterparts. Wow. Right. I think they're way more loyal. Yeah. I think in a business where they're working with students all the time, there's a little bit of a motherly instinct that they carry. Soft skills. Soft skills. I think the yeah. way they're able to handle students with maturity, some of their male counterparts are not able to. Mm -hmm. um, I think they bring in a lot of um, passion, to the classroom as well as to the community that their male counterparts do less of, I feel. So, so I think overall, at least in my business, in education, mm -hmm. I think like I have, I'm strongly biased towards recruiting more women. It's amazing. Right? We love that. <laughs> now, in terms of the student community and their representation amongst, uh, women representation amongst the MBA community, I think that's very small. Yeah. That even in master's union, where we make a concerted effort, is less than 30%. Mm. Right. And that's just a function of the fact that, you know, very few women apply for an MBA program yeah. as compared to men. Yeah. And it's very interesting because the percentage of women applying for education decreases at each level. So from high school to college, more women drop out than men. From college to postgrad, more women drop out than men. men. From True. masters to PhD, almost all women drop out. And I think that's because of our culture. Yeah. which is pushing women into more family life very early on, etc. Right? Um, but I know for a fact that in the West, that number, that leakage has basically like been stalled. Okay, right? so you think it's I think it's quite equal? equitable. Yeah, it's yeah. almost equitable. So like, for example, at a Wharton or a Harvard, percentage women would be 45%. In any Indian B school, it wouldn't even be close to 30%. Yeah. So some, some distance to cover there. Yeah. Uh, but I think like at least on my team front, that's in my control and that's been going phenomenally well. We can be hopeful yeah, that absolutely. it improves in the coming years. I wanted to ask you about like on the economy, the tech industry crash, etc. So how do you ensure like students are placed the best they can yeah. be? So obviously this year is much harder than last year. Yeah. This year the companies are just not recruiting. Hmm. So this time our teams have to work doubly hard or triply hard. Uh, earlier, if you know, 10 interviews were enough for a student to get a job that they deserve, this time we have to do 30 interviews. Yeah. And so we have to open that many more opportunities. We have to look at uh, some new sectors that are emerging. So we have a team that only looks at startups, that mm. sees which startups have fundraised in the last one week. And then we reach out to their CEOs. Yeah. We invite them to campus to meet our students. Um, so we just have to work twice or thrice as hard. Uh, but at the end of the day, we know we'll be able to get the placements done. It might take two mm -hmm. months extra, but that's okay. Not a problem. Um, 
that's number one. Number two is that, you know, generally speaking, while in the tech industry, there has been a downturn, there are many other industries that are booming. Like supply chain in India is booming, right? Uh, infrastructure in India is booming. So we have sure. to then make sure that our students are aligned with the changing trends of the country. And they're able to pivot. They're able to pivot into yeah. that industry. So we're working on that now. Um, so I'm not too worried. However, I still tell students that to completely de-risk yourself, the best thing you can do today is build a business. Hmm. Right? And as a failed businessman, if you fail, you'll always get a job. Yeah. You'll always get a job. Sure. I have an example of a student who built a company um, which was a very specific tech product. And, and he couldn't continue with that because he wasn't able to fundraise. But he got recruited by the competitor of the company that he was building. Wow. Right, as a chief of staff. Yeah. yeah. So he's gone there as a chief of staff now. Amazing. So I think the best way to get a founder's attention if you want to join that company is to just build a competitor. <laughs> if it works, Amazing. it works. If it doesn't, you can always yeah. join them. That's a very smart strategy. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I have to ask this. I'm sure you get this a lot that Pratham, you went to an Ivy League. Yeah. And now you are here asking students to, you know, this is specifically aimed at the moms listening in uh, and the dads that you're, um, you know, but you're asking students to come here mm -hmm. at an Indian institute, which we know is on par. But like 45 seconds, shoot a pitch to the parents listening yeah. in. No, I think that there are certain schools that are good for certain people and there are certain schools that are not good for certain people. Mm. Right? So I wanted to build Masters Union as a school that I wanted to go to as a child. Yeah. Where, as I told you, I was never very good at academics. Mm. I was a very bad test taker. Uh, but I was great at doing things with hands. I was yeah. great at working in teams. I was great yeah. at, you know, working in the real world. Um, so I wanted to build Masters Union as a school that I would like to go to even over UPenn. So that was always the thought that can we take the best parts of UPenn and Harvard and Stanford and all of them and create a business school with no baggage, right? All these colleges have a lot of legacy, which is great. Mm, yeah. But legacy also comes with baggage. True. Expectations. They have expectations. They haven't moved with times. Yeah. You spoke about Delhi University. It's a great school. But the syllabus has not been like revised in the last, what, 20 years or 30 years? I don't know. So here are we who are changing with the world every this year. Each of our courses has a 20-30% component of AI involved in it. We have to change with the world. We don't have the legacy. But I think what we are creating is, is something for the future. Right? Um, and so for some students, they should still go to Stanford. They should still yeah. go to Harvard. They should still go to Wharton. These are great schools. But I think for some students, Master's Union might be a better natural fit. What's next? What is the vision? What is long-term vision for Masters Union? There are two ways to answer this question. One is that we want to be a top 10 global business school. Oh, wow. So right now, the top yeah. 10 are Harvard, Wharton, Stanford, Yale, Stern, Sloan, NCR, LBS, Northwest, and Chicago. I love it. How yeah, yeah. do you practice this every day? <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> um, and, and I think everyone yeah. in my team can give you this exact yeah. same uh, list, right? And, and we want to be number 9 or number 10 in five years from now. Right. That's a lot. We want an Indian school to finally be in the top 10 global rankings. It's never happened before. And, and I think it's high, time. For you. it's high time that we do yeah. this. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't think our existing universities are going to be able to do it. If they could, they would have already. Yeah. It's been 60 years. True. Um, 
No, they have not been able to do it. I think the road is, is quite clear for us and, and we are super excited. The other way to look at it is, can we truly change education? Mm -hmm. um, I don't want um, someone else to have an experience at DU the way you did, which is that we went there, we spent a lot of time in classes listening to teachers or sometimes waiting for teachers and them not showing up. Um, and, and then like taking an exam after six months and after the exam, then the next day you've forgotten everything. And then like, you know, 10 years later, you're saying that I didn't really learn much. And I don't want that to happen. Right? Education is probably the second most expensive thing you buy after yeah. like your house or your yeah. car. Third and it's most a long-term investment. It's a long-term investment. So, I mean, it should give you something. Yeah. Right? So I really think that if we are successful in what we are doing, we would have changed education from the ground up. No exams, no books, no lectures, no slides, no grades, no attendance. Can you make it fully hands-on? So uh, Pratham, I know you're very passionate about uh, infusing your students with a sense of entrepreneurship. And I met a few of them offline. Yeah, awesome. Okay. So uh, like, how do you do it? I want to, we want to know a bit more about that. I think you should talk to the students for that. I think they'll be able to tell you the reality of what goes on here. Amazing. I will always say good things, but maybe yeah. they can share their unbiased opinion. I love that. We are going to do that in awesome. just a minute. Have fun. Okay. All right. So we have with us three incredible ladies who are studying the postgraduate program here at Masters Union. Let's talk to them a little bit about their achievements and what are their future plans. I'm Vivita Agarwal. I'm an ex-marketing professional, a published author, and an ex-founder of a wine and spirits company called 73 Boston. I'm Kriti. I'm an investment advisor, and I'm looking forward to using this time to accelerate it further. Hi, I'm Dia. Uh, really excited to be here. I'm a marketer coming with three years of experience in the same field, and I'm the founder of a new age snacking startup called Bazinga. It's uh, about, uh, you know, introducing chicken snacks and uh, revolutionizing the way people snack in India. Devita, you run 73 Boston, which is a wine and spirits uh, company, but you make wine which is actually made out of tea and not grapes. So how did you get this amazing idea? And how has uh, the program here at Masters Union helped to build your business? So we have this thing called a venture initiation program where we're required to think of a problem and look for a problem that either we're facing ourselves or people around us are facing. And uh, we're in the heart of Burgaon. It's, I would say, arguably the alcohol capital of the country. <laughs> <laughs> the it is. Um, yeah. And uh, very honestly, my I was myself looking for a product that wasn't too hard on my system. Mm -hmm. uh, it was easy on the palate and uh, got me drunk so i guess i was just trying to find something that was different and that got me excited about it i spoke to a lot of people who were wine drinkers themselves and asked them if they were facing a problem and uh, the one problem that we found was that uh, everyone said it was very sour like grapes grape based wine is very sour right and it's it's an acquired taste so my only question was why does wine need to be an acquired taste why can't we made it make it for the indian palate so that's how we came about thinking of tea. Chai Amazing. Kya ho sakta hai. So, yeah, that's how tea-based wine came about. Uh, I would say that uh, because of the Venture Initiation Program, I got to thinking about it. So from the very inception, it was Master's Union that helped me out. Uh, after this, I would say that a lot of the uh, education or learnings that we were going through in class complemented how to run a business. 
so everything from go to market strategies to finding a product market fit to finally getting like a beta positive whatever else right like everything that we were learning was directly complementing how to run a uh, how to run a successful business so yeah i would say that uh, all of that knowledge i was directly applying day to day in how i was running the business and yeah amazing that's incredible and kriti you said before joining the postgrad uh, you were already running a business can you tell us what are you doing exactly so i simplify <clears throat> investing uh, for people who want to make sure that their money works harder than they work for their money or at least as hard as they work for their money personal finance is incredibly personal and i felt that there were a lot of cookie cutter templates mm-hmm. in the market that if you're this age you need to do this but that's not how it works and uh, there was a very big lack of customization so i'm trying to fulfill that so i've just started my time here at masters union but i can already see how things are falling into place all of the subjects we study the uh, cxos we interact with the industry leaders we get a chance to interact with we are able to see firsthand how a lot of businesses in india are built because india is a very different economy yes, and true. people think very differently our culture yeah. is very different so very hands on learning very very hands on So Dia you have a brand which is Bazinga which is basically snacks so tell us about that and again how has your course here helped you in your entrepreneurial venture Bazinga is about you know like i said it's about revolutionizing your snacking um when you see the indian palette it's very diverse uh but when you specifically talk about uh chicken or probably you know your non vegetarian food um there are very limited options available to you especially when we talk about ready to eat or hmm. ready to serve so being a foodie myself and i love chicken i'm a meat lover so i thought why not you know try just entering into the ready to eat space so we came up with the idea of chicken chips um the product is basically uh, an alternative to your lays but made out of chicken uh, so you can you know just grab a packet from any retail store uh open up open it up and you don't need to cook it it's it's amazing made and it also you know serves as a purpose of healthy protein intake so uh yeah that's the idea and uh, well masters union has been a stepping stone uh like devita said you know all the courses that we've taken up here uh, are absolutely aligned and complementary to what we you know actually implement on ground um plus you know three major problems that a startup might face can be uh, capital there might be a capital crunch or you know uh, absence of guidance and support which masters union you know does perfectly for you it's the best place and they allow you holistic learning and with the support system that you have and uh, even in the venture initiation program we have these rounds where you get constant funding support and you know financial dependence um So yeah I think there's no better place to learn business from uh, building a business from 0 to 1 and 1 to 100 and yeah that's that's been our journey excited to see what's ahead amazing thank you to all of you thank you for taking out the time and sure, talking you. to us and all the very best for thank all you. your ventures this is a fun segment okay and i'm going to grill you on certain questions you have maybe no choice to not answer. All right, sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was in my 20s, on a weekend I would go out and party. Okay, you slept earliest at when you were in your 20s. 
like 11 really yeah wasn't like too bad. was it just one day or like yeah i think it was just one day <laughs> <laughs> while studying the subject that you bunked the most i'm sure you did um i was in a boarding school okay you didn't really have an option to bunk because mm. <laughs> where would you bunk to uh, you can't really leave the campus but the one that i would like to bunk would be let's say um, accounts okay commerce and economics. today you are you are actually teaching all of that yeah, yeah absolutely but, but in a practical in a, way in a very different way <laughs> so you were active in this one activity in the college apart from studies of course swimming. any activity ah yeah so i used to swim professionally okay um and in the us you know uh, in india i had a national record and all right uh in backstroke 50 meters that's news to us <laughs> yeah and when i went to the us uh i went on to the swimming team and i told the coach that you know i am this hot shot swimmer in india yeah. and you should really you know recruit me to your team and he's like okay show me what you can do <laughs> and uh, i'm not kidding my colleges record mm-hmm. for 50 meter backstroke and 100 meter backstroke was better than india's national record whoa right so even that's in, amazing it was it was crazy i mean the teams are so good there wow um so i kept trying every year to get on the team and every year i would get slashed oh, and sometimes i would get recruited but then i wouldn't even get to swim because oh. i would lose out in the you know the okay. qualifiers or the pre qualifiers um but i still kept trying and that really humbled me a lot oh yeah you know in india you could be like a hot shot but in the global like uh, stage you are a nobody uh what would i order to drink if i was at a restaurant for a dinner uh, in your weekends or and- weekends or weekday <laughs> <laughs> uh i think in my 20s weekdays would have definitely been like coconut water or you know something that would hydrate because swimming i was swimming you would get that yeah okay. or like a protein shake uh-huh. uh, but then weekends i would be a little bit more experimental uh-huh. i guess i would try different cocktails etc okay yeah give it a shot i mean i love trying things that i haven't tried before so i would okay. never order the same drink twice oh nice yeah, okay just like i've had any bad experience oh lots of them yeah <laughs> but off camera <laughs> so which song would i pick up as my karaoke song let it be oh i love that yeah. lovely song yeah. and Wait. it's easy to sing amazing so i was worried about this one thing happening in india when you were studying there I think like the view that people carried of India was very different. This is 2009 2013. At that time, you know, there was one scam after another coming in India and we didn't carry a very good reputation in the US. All right. So all of my friends mm-hmm. did not want to go back to India. Mhm. Uh whereas I wanted to go back to India and work. And I remember that, you know, going back to India seemed like the thing you would do if you failed right. in the US, right? Right. Um uh, and I was really scared like will India become like pakistan or like you know one oh, yeah. of the countries where people just want to leave and the never country. come back to yeah uh now it's very different now all of my friends who are in the us want to come back to india hmm. because the opportunities here are just so much more um so my my biggest fear was that will india remain attractive for me um and if it doesn't will i like start missing my parents oh, uh, because i'll be so away from them yes of course i think i think that was genuinely a big fear oh very humble One piece of advice for a 20 year old today. The best way to learn anything is to build a business around it. Okay. So build a business. I think that's your strategy in the institute also at Masters yeah. Union, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you want to learn how to code, like build an app. Mm. If you want to learn how to uh like how I don't know physics, you know, particle physics works, like create a course around it and sell it on YouTube. I mean, like 
there's so many ways to build businesses around ideas and i think that's the best way to learn anything very interesting okay so now we have a very interesting section never have i ever okay okay yeah ditched at a pre planned official meeting because yeah many times yeah, yeah okay tried scuba diving or skydiving not yet not yet you neither, want to neither yeah step by step i just okay. flew a plane which was quite a lot of fun oh yeah. i would have had that question mm -hmm. okay used to pick up line on a girl uh yes unsuccessfully so <laughs> really i don't think they actually work interesting apologize to someone after blasting him or her for a wrong reason on a weekly basis really yeah i have a short temper in my and, in my office and then and i end up and i end up taking out my temper on my team sometimes and then i always end up apologizing oh yeah. but you do apologize in a few days yes oh that's very nice <laughs> it takes me some time to yeah sometimes when you have so many things it. in your head it tends to given to you been cheated by a friend financially not yet okay lucky you so thank you so much pratham for your candid answer no, of course of course and i i would have loved to have a chain of questions and yeah. we'll catch up for those strings things awesome thank you so <laughs> thank much you. thank, thank you, you for having me uh before we let you go my last question to you is because this is the because she can podcast what does uh the hashtag because she can mean to you i think like I am speaking from my sister's point of view. Okay. Um, she's always felt. Uh, by the way, she's an entrepreneur as well. She runs her own company. Okay. But before she started, she always felt that she cannot. Hmm. Right. That this is not her role in life to build a company. That even if it was her role, that she doesn't have enough guidance or enough experience or enough of an education to be able to build the company. my household mm. um and i'm not talking about my mom but my larger like you know joint family, family joint family and all of that has somehow given her this sense that she cannot um yeah the societal the societal uh, norm energy pressure is always very negative towards yeah, her true that her goal should be marriage that her goal should be to serve but never to lead so i think she has to be reminded that she can Yeah. Right. And, and so what you know when I see this what this means to me is constant reminder to not conform to what the society expects from you. And I think that's needed so badly. Um and so you're essentially trying to change the societal mindset with that hashtag and uh, I think that's a very incredibly important thing to do. Thank you. That's I think the first very personal uh, answer that we've got on the podcast. So thank you so much for your time Pratham it has been such an incredible conversation we have a little something oh, awesome. for you Oh awesome thank you so much <laughs>